the table was very important to me when I was a boy growing up, uh, both in our dining room where the table was and where we ate, and also in the church where I helped move it back and forth a lot. And so I was often involved in moving the communion table. We have communion once a month here on the first Sunday. We'll have it next week. And the metaphor we're using is not just about the communion table. It's about coming to the table of the Lord. It has behind it the idea that one day we're going to sit down in the banquet hall in heaven. There's going to be a banquet and there's going to be a feast and we're going to be gathered there. And so that's part of what's behind the table idea. And the table is a place that is unique in the furnishings of our homes because it turns us toward one another. It puts us face to face, eye to eye, and it encourages conversation. When we're sitting at the table, we're required usually to pass the food to one another, and so we serve each other at the table. And it's an important picture of how it operates in the body of Christ. Now, when I was a boy, there were five boys in a row that were born to my mother, and we were all about 18 months apart. Then there was a girl, and then there was another boy. His name's Joe. We left him out of pretty much everything. And we used him, too, for different things. And uh, Joe grew to be a little belligerent toward us, and so one day, the five of us just drug him under the table, tied his hands and his feet to each of the four legs, and left him screaming. And uh, we learned later on that that's not what you do at the table. That a table is not a place to vanquish your foes. It's not a place to tie them up. (laughs) It's not a place where you beat up somebody. The table is a place where you serve, where you listen, where you converse, where you share together as a family. And that's what this table is all about. Now, we have been going through Romans chapter 12, and it is a description of who we are as a family of faith, as believers in the body of Christ. And we have seen a lot of instructions in this chapter that are, that are wonderful words to us about using our spiritual gifts, how everyone is gifted, and I've already had conversations this morning about gifts that people want to use in the body, the passages of Uh, Scripture from Romans chapter 12 are stirring people's hearts about getting involved, getting back into the good fight of faith, doing what God's called us to do, and all of that is good. But we come today to a really difficult text. It's hard. It's counterintuitive. It's countercultural. It sounds impossible. In fact, it sounds insane sometimes. And yet it is not an isolated text in the Bible. Yes, Jesus talked about this particular instruction. And when the Apostle Paul visits it, he is quoting Jesus. Peter does the same thing, the very same thing in his letter. He quotes Jesus in this very same way. But Jesus was quoting an Old Testament text when he talked about it. And so it's all through the Bible. And I want you to listen. As somebody who understands 
and worships like the first part of Romans 12 says. I beg you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, present your body a living sacrifice. Somebody who's all in, whose body is presented unto God. It only makes sense if you see this teaching in the context of your complete surrender to Jesus as Lord. If you're a nominal Christian, or you're just a sort of Christian, or you're out there on the periphery of religion, and you sort of count yourself a Christian because culturally that's who you are, this is not going to make sense to you. This only makes sense to the people who are all in. That Jesus is Lord. We seek to follow him every day. We are Jesus' people in what we say, what we do, how we behave, how we relate to others. That's the context of Romans chapter 12, verse 14, which says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. You're going to be persecuted. As a follower of Jesus, he guarantees it's going to happen to you. In fact, he puts it into Beatitudes, you know. Blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. Blessed are you when men persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. Great is your reward in heaven. You're going to be persecuted. You are not being persecuted when you receive a just payment for your crime. That's not persecution. If you do something that is wrong, if you disobey your parents and your discipline, that is not persecution. Persecution is when you receive a penalty because you did what is right, you did what is good. You didn't do something wrong, you did something right. And somebody is penalizing you and punishing you for doing what is good and true. So you have to have a kind of innocence to really experience persecution. And sometimes people are persecuted when they do what is good and they seek to do the right thing. People hurt them unjustly you're going to need to think about the person who did you wrong for no apparent reason there may be somebody that comes to mind right now somebody who hurt you deeply and you did not deserve it you feel like you were doing the best you could you were doing what was right and they slammed you because that is the person to whom the Holy Spirit directs this teaching in your life And it is a powerful and hopeful teaching for them and for you. So get it in your mind, this person who did you wrong. You were unjustly punished and hurt. 
Jesus said, if somebody slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. So maybe persecution could involve physical assault. Jesus said if a Roman soldier comes along and he's got a very heavy bag and he can carry it himself, but instead he wants you to be his beast of burden. And because you are a Jew and you really don't have the rights of a Roman citizen, he's going to have you carry his bag for a mile. Jesus said if he makes you do that, when you get to the end of the mile, you tell him, I'm going to carry your bag another mile. Jesus said, if somebody slanders you, they tell a lie about you in order to hurt you and destroy your reputation. You be kind to them, and you pray for them, and you love them. And what do you do if you are falsely accused? You receive that accusation. Maybe you seek to defend yourself, but you do not return malice for malice. What if somebody beats you and spits on you and crushes a crown of thorns upon your head and grabs your hand and drives a spike through it into the wood and sits you up between heaven and earth hung on a cross. What do you say? You say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. This is how our Lord responded to persecution. It's how he responded to the harm that was unjustly delivered to him and to his body. And he is encouraging us to do the same. And it feels, it feels impossible to bless those who curse you. It feels impossible to be kind to those who are unkind to you. And yet this is the high standard to which Jesus calls us. He said as he culminated this in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, therefore be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. And in another place he said, be merciful, just like your Father in heaven is merciful. And so, though it feels like an impossible standard, it is something that God wants us to do. He challenges us to do. Everybody in this room then is to change how we speak when we are cursed, how we respond when we are unjustly hurt. We are to change our behavior and our words to conform to the behavior and the words of the Lord Jesus, and that's what it means to follow him. When he talks about persecution, there are some times when insiders will persecute you. That's true. Jesus' family actually mocked him. It was a while before his brothers really believed that he was the Messiah. And his friends, the neighbors that he grew up with, when he said things about being a Messiah and, and following him, they'd say, well, we know who you are. You're Joseph's son. Who do you think you are, man? So sometimes they, they went back at him, and he had to suffer 
the persecution of people who were close to him, you would have thought that the Jewish leaders would be in his corner when he taught the old covenant. But they weren't. They, they resisted him and assaulted him and eventually murdered him. But most often, we are persecuted by people who are outsiders. So we are gathered here at the table. We are sitting side by side, elbow to elbow, serving one another in the body of Christ, trying to live in harmony, as the Scripture says. But we are experiencing persecution, most often from outsiders, from people who do not sit at this table. They do not believe in Jesus as Lord. This is the kind of persecution that Peter and James and John were going to experience in their own ministry. So when Jesus said to them, you're going to be persecuted, that's how it worked out. It worked out that people who were outside the family of faith were attacking them. And that may happen in your school. It may happen in your family where people outside of the faith attack you and you are unjustly treated. Maybe there are people at work who lie about you and they are seeking to harm you by telling falsehoods about you. And they are outside of the body of Christ. It is very, very important that every person who is at the table hear this instruction. Bless those who persecute you because it is vital to our witness in New Orleans. It is vital to our witness in your school, at your place of work, in your circle of influence. It is very, very important that we heed this instruction to bless those who curse us and do good to those who despitefully use us and malign us. Very important that we mourn with those who mourn. Now, this verse, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn, is right there embedded in that bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse them. And then it is rejoice with those who rejoice. What's he talking about? Sometimes we are sad when people who have done us wrong enjoy good fortune. Something good happens to that person who hurt us intentionally. And we are sad about it. And this instruction here is instead of being sad and sorrowful about the good fortune that has come upon your enemy, rejoice with him. Sometimes we see our enemy mourning. He has hurt us without cause. We have been persecuted and he is weeping. And we are glad because he's getting what he deserves. Yippee! And Jesus is saying, no. Do not rejoice when your enemy is mourning. Instead, enter into this loving connection with the one who has hurt you so that you rejoice when good things happen to them and they are rejoicing and you weep when bad things happen to them and they are in sorrow and in that way you will be like your Father in heaven. Live in harmony with one another. Now, everybody has different gifts, and we are very diverse, but we can live in harmony if we listen for the chord that is sounded. And even though we are all different, we can work together in harmony 
for the work of God and the Spirit of Christ. And even at work and places like that, we are to strive to be at peace with all men so that we are not the agitator. We are not the one who is always in conflict. Instead, we are seeking to be peacemakers. And making peace implies that peace has been broken. So our reputation should be wherever we are, that we're seeking to live in harmony, that we are peacemakers, that we do not curse those who curse us, but we bless them instead. The word bless has a little prefix, good, and then the word uh, logia for word. So it is good word. The word curse is the bad word. To speak ill upon somebody. The word bless is to speak good upon somebody. And so I turn the words where I'm speaking ill towards somebody and I begin to speak good toward them so that I can be like my Father in heaven, living in harmony with one another, seeking not to exalt myself, not to be hyped up. And here's the word hype again in this text. So thinking of myself highly, not exalting myself, but being willing to associate with people of low position. Who are the people with low position? See, the whole world is layered into economic stratus and cultural stratus. And you pretty much know where you are in the stratus, and you gravitate. That is the natural process of gravity. You gravitate to your layer. It's like solutions or suspensions that we used to make in chemistry. We shake up the water and all of the suspensions and, and gravity brought them all down and it would be layered at the bottom. So we gravitate as human beings toward our layer. And it is a challenge for us to go to a different layer and to associate with people in lower position. It's just a challenge to us. We don't normally, naturally do it. We divide up into class and cultural groups and sometimes ethnic groups. It's just normal, natural behavior for human beings. Now, what Jesus wants you to do is stop obeying the law of gravity in regard to social relationships and start intentionally associating with those of lower position, in this way you will be like your Lord Jesus, who was famous for not respecting persons. His enemies came to him and said, Jesus, we know you are not a respecter of persons. You do not show favoritism. Then, therefore, we're going to ask you this question. He was famous for not showing favoritism, for not having favorites. It's just human nature to have favorites. It's human nature to divide up into our little groups. And in the church of Jesus Christ, sometimes we want to just follow human nature. Sometimes we even recommend it, you know. Just let the natural course happen and gravitate to your layer. But that would be going against what God wants you to do and what the Spirit of God is up to in your life. 
And it would be going against the model of Jesus and how he lived his life. He was comfortable no matter what the layer was. He loved them, whether it was rich Zacchaeus or poor lepers. He was amazing in this. It was startling. And you will be startling also, see? You will be amazing if you live in this world as a person who does not show favoritism but associates with those of lower position because it's just really unusual. We are divided up into our blocks. I was at Rivard. Did I tell you this? And there was a chessboard on the table. Did I tell him this? I had about eight 14-year-olds who had committed crimes sitting around the table. And I said, God wants you to do something. You see this chessboard? There's 64 squares on the chessboard. I think there's about 70 neighborhoods in New Orleans. Now, you know neighborhoods in New Orleans are very clearly defined or were before the flood. And you were careful if you crossed the boundaries. It's why we call the middle neutral ground it's neutral because it's between the neighborhoods and if you crossed over you could get in big trouble you weren't really supposed to cross over into somebody else's neighborhood and try to do business or or social activity and it is still true even to this day this division in our city between neighborhoods and you can move into a gang's territory if you cross that ground that neutral ground I told those boys at Rivard I said what what Jesus wants you to do is love people who are in a different square than you because that's not what we do we throw rocks at them We don't really know them. They're strangers to us. If we ever meet them, we're just really surprised how much like us they are. But we got the world divided into these squares. And what happens is if we don't care for one another across the lines, the world becomes a very violent place. I guess Jesus experienced that in his own time and his place the violence that people wrought upon one another. The Romans wrought upon the Jews, and the Jews sought to bring upon the Romans. And in every age, in every generation, in every place in the world, if you can picture clubs and knives and guns and people assaulting each other on the planet and people falling down in the violence and murder, you are picturing a true condition in our world. Do you know how many of the kids in Orleans Parish schools have seen somebody stabbed, shot, or beaten? If you were between the ages of 10 and 16, you have a 40% chance that as a kid you have seen an individual shot, stabbed, or beaten. You know that 38% of the kids in Orleans Parish schools have actually witnessed domestic violence where somebody who's supposed to love another person hurts them physically. 
Do you know that one out of five of the kids in these schools around here have witnessed, they have seen somebody murdered? This according to a study by an advocacy group for women and men who just completed it, just published it. They, they, they interviewed 1,200 students in Orleans Parish Schools and discovered that 14% of these students had felt suicidal. It's amazing when you think of it that this level of personal experience of violence is right here in our own city. 54%, a majority of the students in Orleans Parish Schools have lost someone close to them through murder. We have a world where we're going to take them down. We're going to take, they did to us and we're going to do to them. We're going to even this score. We're going to get it right. We're going to get our revenge. We are going to retaliate. We live in an eye for eye, tooth for tooth world. And the world really is going blind. And Jesus interjects this teaching. And he insists on it. And not only that, he lives it out as a human being on the planet who suffers unjustly at the hands of people that should have loved him and cared for him from the state to the religious authorities. And they hung him up to die. And he taught us again and again, love those who are your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Be kind to those who hurt you. And you will be like your father in heaven. There is a way to live on this planet that is so full of hope and power if you do it that it will change not only your perspective on what is happening in the world, it will change your perspective on what's happening in your family and it will change the way you see your community if you can live this instruction to bless those who persecute you. It is a whole new place to be in your mind and in your heart. And it so startled the people who watched Jesus that they walked away saying, nobody ever spoke like this man. There's something about him. There's something about him. And followers of Jesus, they need to say the same about us. They need to see our behavior and say, wow, he just took that cursing and turned and, and blessed the man. He took that unjust beating and he turned around and did the man good. There's something about this that is, that is powerful, that will reach out to the outsiders, the people outside the table, and make such a great difference in their understanding of the gospel and who Jesus is. And listen, if we don't do this, if we curse those who curse us and we retaliate against those who hurt us and we get our revenge, we are just like the rest of the world. And when we present the gospel to them, they say, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I know Christians. I know how they act. 
to take it to another country. Our short-term missionaries to Ghana say that when they present the gospel to Muslims in that Christian nation, those Muslims are worried about being part of the church because they've been beat up and robbed by Christians. Maybe there's somebody in your experience that you're trying to reach and you know they're away from God because of the way they act. And what will break it loose for them is for you to live out this teaching of Jesus. I want you to think about the person who has wronged you, who has treated you unjustly, who has hurt you deeply for no cause. And the question I want to ask you is this. What good thing could you do for them? I know when you even think about it, you say to yourself, oh no, they would suspect my motives. If I tried to do something good for them, they would brush it off. They wouldn't receive it. They wouldn't believe it was coming with a, with a pure heart. I want you to think how you could speak the good word and do the good deed. Because this instruction about people who sit at the table together following Jesus is not something just to contemplate on the inside. It's something to live out on the outside. It's a way to be in the world. John says, Cain killed Abel. He took him down. But among you, you go down. Somebody's going down. And the challenge is, Lord, let me be the one who refuses to curse, who refuses to persecute back, who refuses to retaliate and get revenge. Let me be the one who breaks the cycle of violence and hurt and harm and evil. Let me do good to the one who hurt me. Bow with me, please. I know this is heavy for somebody in the room. And you're wondering how in the world you could do this. And I don't know your situation. And if you are a person who's being abused by somebody that ought to love you, you need to tell somebody. It's not about that. But if you know through the Holy Spirit's work in your heart that God is calling you to love somebody, to do good to somebody who has hurt you, and I want to pray for you in just a minute. Would you slip your hand up and say, pray for me. I want to follow this instruction. Yes, God bless you. Any others? Yes, God bless you. Somebody's hurt me. I want to follow this. I want to do them good. Yes, God bless you. Any others? Somebody lied about me. Yes. I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, as we raise our hands across this auditorium, show us, God, the power there is in obedience.
to this command, this teaching. Show us the hope there is in this demonstration of the gospel as we do good to those who hurt us. God, show these who have raised their hands what good they could do, how it could be said or done to communicate the love of God to the one who treated them unjustly, who lied about them and maligned them. God, I pray you will give them wisdom to know how to respond. God, I pray you will teach us all how to relate to outsiders in such a way that they are astonished, that we do not show favoritism, that we're no respecter of persons, that we love like Jesus loved across the boundaries. Teach us how to do it, Lord, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.